This afternoon we are taking a look at the parable of the ten virgins that's found in Matthew, the 25th chapter. <clears throat> and Jesus tells this story in response to his disciples. He's talking to his disciples and talking about the end times and when he's going to return. And the disciples ask him in uh, the previous chapter, chapter 24 and verse 3, it says, As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? <clears throat> and Jesus goes on to describe and give them those signs. He talks about, he really kind of paints a pretty dark picture. He talks about wars and tribulations and um, false prophets and perilous times. And in the very next chapter, he uses this parable of the ten virgins um, to make a point and teach the disciples and us today a few different things. So I want to quickly, it's only 13 verses, I want to read the parable and then look at a couple of things that we can learn from it. Matthew 25, it says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins, who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the prudent took oil and flasks along with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No, there will not be enough for us and you too. Instead, go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, and all those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Later the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. Jesus uses this, um, uh, this story and this illustration to tell the disciples to be prepared for his return. He uses the ten versions as the disciples or us. He uses the character of the bridegroom as himself. And he uses the, um, the wedding ceremony or the, 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 the celebration as the kingdom of heaven. And this made a whole lot more sense to the disciples then than it did to me in 2018 reading it. And that's because Jewish weddings and the customs that they had back then to, for weddings were very different than what we have today. And there are several customs that they had that I'm glad that we don't participate in anymore because they were pretty awkward. And... Uh, but they were very different, but the disciples were uh, familiar with this. And as I understand it, the first thing that happened is they had a ceremony that actually bound the, the couple together as man and wife. And then sometime after that, the bridegroom went to the bride's house and escorted her back to his home uh, where they would live together as husband and wife. And when it came time for the bridegroom to do that, um, uh, the bride's attendants, or the ten virgins in the illustration that Jesus uses, would wait for the groom and then join him in the procession going down there. And they used their lamps as light, and almost like a, a festive light, to light the way as they, as they went. And again, Jesus uses this illustration because the disciples were very familiar with this custom. And there's a, So there's a few things that I find interesting about this parable. And uh, I picked out three things that I think Jesus wants us to learn from this story. And the first is the most obvious. 
and that is to be prepared, to be ready for when he is to return. Jesus is telling us to be prepared uh, for his return because when he comes back or when we die, there won't be time then to go out and find salvation. You know, I know I can speak for myself and, and probably most of you here that we can relate with things in our life um, where we haven't been prepared or haven't been uh, ready for something. Um, you know, when you're in school, I'm, I'm sure most of you, uh, if you're anything like me and the student that I was, that you probably took at least one or multiple tests that you didn't study for. And you remember that feeling when you sat down and you, the teacher handed out the test and uh, you quickly realized after reading a few questions that it was not going to go well because you didn't study. What about, um, have any of you ever run out of gas when you're driving down the road? You talk about a sinking, awful feeling. Um, I haven't in a long time, but uh, I, when I was younger and, and less responsible, I ran out of gas frequently. And, uh, and I, I don't really know why other than I wasn't prepared. I read somewhere, I don't know how accurate it is, that 500,000 people a year in the United States run out of gas and are stranded on the side of the road. And you know, it's, I, I can assure you that it's not because they did it intentionally. And if I had to guess, probably what is most common is you're coming home from work, or the situation that probably most people find themselves is, and I can think about is they come home from work, they've had a long day, they're tired, they're hungry, traffic is awful, they pass by a gas station knowing they need fuel, but there's a line at all the pumps, and they think, I'll just get up early in the morning, and I'll deal with it then. And they go home, and they go to bed, and, of course, they wake up late, but they have a meeting they have to be at. And so they rush out the door, and they are just hoping that they make it to work. And sometimes they make it. Sometimes 500,000 people a year don't. So that's, in my mind, probably what is the uh, common reason as to why that, that happens. But, you know, even with modern technology in our vehicles, and even with that flashing low fuel light on the dash, we don't know exactly when we're going to run out of fuel. Once it, the low fuel light comes on, uh, we don't know exactly when that's going to happen. You know, the same is true for Christ's return. <clears throat> we can see the signs, but we don't really know when that's going to happen. In Matthew 24, the previous chapter from where we just read, Jesus says that no man knows when he's going to come back nor the angels, nor the son, but only the father knows when he's going to come back. And so his admonition here is um, to always be ready and to be prepared. Rachel and I were talking about um, this on the way to church this morning, and, and uh, she said, you know, when I was young, uh, this parable and the thought of Christ coming back and not knowing when that's going to happen absolutely terrified me. And uh, she said that, um, she, when she was young, she used to worry that Christ was going to come back when she was in the shower and didn't have any clothes on. <laughs> and uh, I thought that was pretty humorous because she has a really, really good heart. And uh, it's just funny. And then I started thinking about it, and I said, you know, I kind of had a similar but different. Mine was a little more selfish. I had a similar fear when I was young of Christ coming back. If I was really excited about something coming up, and I vividly remember when, I don't know, I was maybe seven or eight years old, laying in bed, and I had some event on Saturday, and I remember praying, Lord, please don't come back before Saturday, because I really want to do whatever it was. And so, <clears throat> but, you know, it can be frightening um, to, to think about, uh, uh, you know, not knowing when either we're going to die, because we don't, or 
when Christ is going to return. So why would anybody, knowing that Christ's return or our death is imminent, not always be prepared? I thought of three different things, and I want to use the illustration of running out of gas um, to make my points. The first is uh, somebody could run out of gas because they don't think they need it, or it's not even on their radar. They're not even thinking about it. And a quick example of that is um, so many years ago, I was working for a company that the owner lived in California, and he had a, a company car out there that he wanted me to drive. So he flew me from Houston to um, California, and I picked the car up and started to drive it back to Texas. And I was in San Diego, and I knew I had half a tank and didn't think anything about it. And I got out on the road, and got you know traffic was crazy, and I got headed east, and um, got somewhere down to a quarter of a tank and thought, oh, this car gets 30-something miles a gallon. I can go a long ways. And then I quickly figured out between San Diego and whatever the next big town is, there's very few gas stations in between. And so I was, like, running on fumes, you know. And, but I, I, I didn't even think while I was in San Diego that at half a tank I should fill up, right? It wasn't even on my radar. Everything was fine. Why did I need to go to the trouble of stopping then? And likewise, I think we can have a, a false sense of security um, and not be prepared and prudent as Christ uh, describes in the parable. Second thing is somebody that runs out of gas could be have a false sense of uh, confidence by the fact that at the moment, at that moment, everything's fine. Even though maybe we know our low fuel light's on, everything's fine. The engine's running fine. It's not sputtering. The air conditioner's working. Everything's good. And so that can give us a false sense of uh, security. An example I have there is, uh, I, it was probably the last time I ran out of, of uh, fuel. Kyle, my brother-in-law, was with me, and I was going to buy uh, some cattle. And I had an old diesel, uh, old diesel pickup and had the trailer, and he and I were barreling down Interstate 30 to go uh, out to this place. And he looks over and he says, man, uh, do we need any fuel? And I was like, ah, oh, I know my truck. We're good. You know, we, I've got, you know, it's, it hadn't touched this line yet. We're all right. And uh, we, we're going along, and all of a sudden, the engine starts run, stops running, and we're on the side of the road. And what I didn't account for is the weight of that trailer pushing the truck down a little bit, and then going uphill, all the fuel was in the back of the tank. And um, we were on the side of Interstate 30. Bruce had to come get us and get a five-gallon can, and it was just such a mess. In an old diesel like that, you don't just start it back up. I mean, it's a two-man job. One has to push an air bleeder uh, button and... and purge all the air out, and it's a pain. But I had a false sense of confidence because everything was fine, and, and I didn't take into account for that. Likewise, Jesus tells us he's going to come back when no one expects it. In uh, Matthew 24, the previous chapter, in verse 44, he, sa- he tells us exactly that. And I think, I think that uh, when Christ comes back, uh, it's going to be... Uh, when everything seems fine. Yeah, there's the signs, the low fuel lights on, so to speak. There's the signs that he talks about, but everything is seemingly okay, and no one will expect it. And that reminds me of Noah. You know, Noah, I can imagine um, when he was tirelessly preaching to the people for all those years as he's building the ark, that all the people, the day that it flooded the earth, all the people probably thought it was another day, the sky was clear, and Noah was a, just a, you know, a crazy guy uh, running around preaching at him. And the sky was clear until it wasn't. And then it was too late for them to secure a seat on the ark. The third thing 
my thought about is someone who uh, runs out of fuel um, wrongly suppose that they still have plenty of time to get it later. Have you ever been, you know, driving down the highway, maybe traveling somewhere that you're not familiar with the area, and <clears throat> let's say you've got 100 miles still empty, and you pass a gas station, because Google tells you that, you know, 105 miles down the road, there's, a, there's another gas station. And so you get 105 miles down the road, and, you know, of course, you're on E, and you get to the gas station, and it hasn't been open for two years. It's just still on Google. I've had that happen before. That's, uh, that's a sinking feeling. But uh, with, you know, with, uh, in our uh, Christian lives, you know, that, that can also happen as well. We can uh, be fooled into thinking that there will be other chances um, to find salvation with Christ. I heard one time somebody say that the most powerful lie the devil can convince us of is that there's plenty of time, that we have plenty of time. And I think that that's true. You know, when the, the, the five uh, foolish virgins that didn't have any oil, when it came time and they woke up to uh, the news that the bridegroom was coming, you know, to, to gather them up and to go on with the wedding procession, there was no time for them to go out at that point and uh, to buy oil. And that leads me to the second thing that I think... Uh, Christ wants us to learn from the story, and that is that we can't share our salvation with others. When the ten virgins woke up, and again, when the five realized that they didn't have the oil that they needed to uh, be a part of the procession, why couldn't the five wise virgins just share some oil with them? If you remember in verse 9, the five um, uh, uh, prudent virgins said that they, they expressed the concern that there wouldn't be enough. If they shared with them, then there wouldn't be enough for any of them, <clears throat> and that likely that none of the ten lamps would then work. And um, when I, uh, I, I don't know exactly, but um, I think that, you know, the, the lamps that they were using weren't like what I picture with, you know, you've got oil in the bottom of it and a glass container and a wick, and it burns for hours and hours and hours. These were probably more like a torch, you know, some sort of a torch that, that uh, had a wick on it, and you had to pour the oil on it and, and then light it. And so, uh, likewise, on the day of judgment, we cannot share our salvation with others. Now is the time to share with others how we're saved. In Romans 14 and 12, it says that each of us will give an account to God. I can't give an account for you, and you can't give an account to God for me. And you know, that seems pretty elementary to us that, uh, that, that know this, but when I thought about it a little deeper, I think there's a real danger, um, or the danger is when we put too much confidence in um, other people rather than Jesus. And I realized that I've done this in the past when I started thinking about it. I realized that in the past, I've put, and I'm not talking about, uh, I've put spiritual, my spiritual confidence in maybe evangelists or uh, some preachers or elders or family members that I really thought about in a high regard as it relates to spirituality, and that maybe my confidence wasn't really in Jesus, it was more in them. And I think there's a danger in that. The last uh, point that um, I drew from this story of the ten virgins is, just because they had an invitation, that did not guarantee their admission. And I find it interesting that all ten of the virgins were invited to the party. They were all invited to the wedding celebration. And in the context of the story, even the five 
virgins that were called foolish for not having the oil, they all had an invitation, but they didn't get in. You know, they were special guests, but they didn't get to celebrate with the group. You know, you and I have an invitation from Jesus. You and I have a, um, a, a place in heaven secured by Jesus Christ himself. But just because we don't have, or just because we do have an invitation does not guarantee our admission. In Matthew 7, verse 21 it says, not a, Jesus himself said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does my will, the will of my Father who is in heaven, will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart me, you who practice lawlessness. So I, I think Jesus' point in telling us this parable was to always stay ready and prepared. And we can stay ready and prepared by making sure that our faith in Jesus is strong. We can stay ready and prepared by constantly looking for opportunities to serve other people. We can stay ready and prepared through continual prayer and through continual fellowship with our church family. So this afternoon, consider the ten virgins and whether or not you are among the wise or the foolish this afternoon. If there's any way the church can help you, ask that you come as we sing.